Welcome to the New Hood Peace Partners, where we discuss community-based violence prevention with folks working for peace in black and brown communities. I'm your host, Dr. Tali Hudson, and I'm the founder of The New Hood, a community-based think tank. I hope you find these conversations to be informative, inspirational, and interesting. Now, let's get into it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to another episode of the New Hood Peace Partners. This is uh, one of the solo episodes, so I won't be having a guest for this episode. It'll be just me. I wanted to take a moment to talk about the role of evidence in community-based violence prevention. Some of you may know that I did my dissertation on the role of evidence in community-based violence prevention policy and looking at what does evidence actually mean? What does it mean to be evidence-based or, or not be evidence-based? How is, evi- how is evidence created and produced and what are the social processes of evidence? And, and how does it impact public policy uh, as it relates to community-based violence prevention. And I'm not going to do a whole treatment of my dissertation. I'm going to save that for another episode. But this notion, this question of evidence is something that was on my mind and that people are constantly talking about. So I just wanted to get into it a little bit. So when people talk about evidence-based practices, people are talking about we need things that are evidence-based. Funders are saying We want community-based strategies to be evidence-based. Politicians will say, you know, we want to back and support things that are evidence-based. But but what is that? What does that even really mean? And in my research, what I found is that there is no one definition necessarily of evidence. That evidence, the word evidence and what evidence is and what evidence means um, is, is different things to different people. And oftentimes when people say they want something that is evidence-based or when a strategy should be evidence-based or scientific evidence, oftentimes what people are talking about is a study that has been done, some kind of evaluation or a paper that has been written and published in a peer-reviewed academic journal. A peer-reviewed academic journal is a a journal in which uh, a researcher uh, submits the, a researcher writes a paper and they send it to the journal, such as, you know, criminology and public policy, for example. And then other academics, their peers, review the article and make a determination about whether the article is suitable to be published. And they may tell the author uh, or authors that uh, they need to revise their paper for whatever reason and then resubmit it or the paper can be outright rejected or the paper can be accepted or it can be revised and then resubmitted and then accepted. But basically, it's a way to make sure that the research that is being published uh, meets standards of quality and integrity and that anybody just can't write whatever they want and then have it published in the journal and then say that 
something is scientific and then other folks will say, well, no, it's not. Well, look at your methods. Your methods are wrong or look at, you know, there are these crazy errors or whatever the case may be. So that's that's the whole in a nutshell, the whole peer reviewed uh, academic journal piece. And so if something makes it into a peer reviewed academic journal, it can be a really big deal. It can it can be a huge source of validation for a intervention to be evaluated and then have that evaluation uh, published in a, in a peer reviewed journal that a lot of academics read and have a lot of have a lot of respect for. So so it could be a big deal. And, and oftentimes that's what people talk about when they when they say um, evidence. But sometimes when people talk about evidence, they they might mean uh, another kind another study that was done that maybe wasn't in a peer reviewed academic journal that maybe just some researcher somewhere maybe for a a think tank or some other research center has has done some kind of study uh, or maybe a community group did a certain kind of study or a nonprofit did a certain kind of study uh, that might not necessarily be peer reviewed and then there's some folks that will say even if you have a study one study is not necessarily evidence right and so again this notion of what is evidence varies depends on who you're talking to and what the context is now for myself you know i've seen personally the efficacy of community-based violence prevention strategies which is not to say that every single strategy works if it's community-based or community-led that's not what i'm saying but i've seen violence interrupters talk someone down from retaliating in the aftermath of a shooting you can go check out the uh, episode that i did with uh interview i did with beloved to hear more um about about that story so i you know personally don't need a peer-reviewed you know paper to know uh that certain strategies can work and i think many folks in the front lines will say and, and have said uh, something similar that based on their personal experience, they know that some of the things that they're doing were, are, are working. And also, it can also be said that maybe some things that some folks are doing in terms of community based strategies may not be working as well as folks would, would like to believe. And this is where research can help play a role to see how can things, how can strategies, how can um, interventions uh, Im- Im- improve. But it, it's very difficult to have a research partner who can do that kind of level of 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 research and and there are um, a number of barriers including financial hurdles racial discrimination methodological bias politics i I could go on um, that have prohibited a more robust evidence base for community-based strategies just as a real quick example the Dickey Amendment for decades prohibited uh, certain federal agencies from doing research on gun violence prevention, at least as it was interpreted by uh, successive Congresses. But the Department of Justice could still fund studies that uh, involved law enforcement and and the role of law enforcement in in public safety uh, and, um, and looking at things from a a law enforcement crime control lens as opposed to, say, a uh, public health 
uh, uh, frame, framework. So the CDC was not doing studies around gun violence prevention while Department of Justice was. So that's just just an example how you know politics has had an impact on what kinds of studies have been done. Now, conventional thinking has held that community-based strategies should be evaluated in the same way as medical interventions, speaking of the, of the CDC. Um, but I would argue that evaluating the efficacy of a community-based violence prevention strategy is not quite the same as testing a new medicine or, or a new product. It's very difficult, very difficult to control for the number, the numerous variables that could possibly have an effect on violence rates, including local and, and national factors, right? To get more specific, the gold standard of evaluation is the randomized control trial, commonly referred to as RCT. Now, if you're not familiar with RCT, I'll give you a real quick, very oversimplified primer on, on RCT. Let's say we want to know if an intervention is effective. So for an RCT, we have a large pool of randomized individuals who are participating in the experiment. We would randomly select half of the group to receive an intervention and the other half to not receive the intervention. Now the randomness is the really key part because it's the best way to be sure that the results of the experiment aren't being influenced by outside factors or even by the researchers themselves. So the group that receives the intervention is known as the treatment group because they are essentially being treated with the intervention. It's like when you hear NBA players saying they're going to receive treatment for an injury uh, after a game. Now, the other group that doesn't get the intervention is known as the control group because their role in the experiment is to help the researchers control the innumerable number of variables that could affect the outcome. So if we do the experiment with these randomized groups and if the treatment group experiences a particular change and the control group does not, then we can say that it's most likely the treatment that caused the change, assuming that the results have reached a certain threshold of statistical significance, usually around 95%. And to really kind of oversimplify what that means is to say we're 95% confident that the results that we are observing are are true and, and valid results. There's still that 5% that maybe we're wrong, uh, but we're 95% certain that, that, that we're not wrong. Now, the strength of this method is that it allows researchers to determine causality with a very high degree of confidence. You know, in other words, RCTs are very good at showing whether a particular course of action resulted in the desired outcome independent of any other course of action. And RCTs have helped to lead to incredible scientific breakthroughs, especially in medicine. However, in the social sciences, it's much more challenging. Um, it's much more difficult to get a random pool of people and sort them into treatment and control groups. There are a lot of logistical and ethical challenges, again, the full extent of which uh, are beyond the scope um, of, of, this, of this episode. So if we don't have RCT studies on community-based strategies, one can make the assumption that they don't work, right? In other words, someone might assume that the absence of evidence for community-based strategies is really evidence of absence of their effectiveness, 
which I, I would argue uh, is, is not fair. Uh, and, and oftentimes you'll hear folks use the word rigor and they say that uh, community-based strategies, really any strategy should be rigorously evaluated. And oftentimes what people are, are talking about when they say rigor, um, they're just really talking about RCT. <laughs> Basically, they're saying um, if something is rigorous, for something to be rigorously evaluated, that means that they, that you are able to have a, a treatment group and a control group and to be able to prove causality and show that a particular course of action uh, resulted in a desired outcome independent of any other variable or, or action. But I think that shows a bit of a, a methodological bias. I mean, rigor can apply to both qualitative and quantitative studies, right? And and there's a, another podcast that I listen to called the Action Research Podcast, and they talk about uh, rigor in action research, uh, which which is not quantitative, which which does not involve uh, randomized control or, or, or treatment groups, um, but yet there there definitely is a rigorousness to their to their methodology so um check out the link in the in the show notes in the in the episode description for the action research podcast now while qualitative studies don't prove causality and have limited generalizability and what i mean by limited generalizability is the findings that one uh discovers or the the outcome that one finds in a in a in a research study that is qualitative you can't necessarily generalize it. You can't necessarily say that it holds true for every other situation that might be similar to the one you studied. Because uh, again, you don't. You're not dealing with um, the experimental na- the experimental nature of randomness. You're not even doing what's known as a quasi-experimental study. So, in qualitative, you're looking at findings for what happened in that particular situation. Um, which can provide insight for other similar situations. But for example, if there's a qualitative study on a particular community-based strategy, it may provide insights into that strategy that happened in that context, in that geographic location with you know those people that it involved. But that doesn't mean you can necessarily take that same strategy and you know, put it in, in another city, in another context, and expect it to be able to do the same thing. Because, again, when you don't have that level of randomness, like with an RCT, you're not controlling for any number of different variables that could have had an impact um, on on the outcome. So even though qualitative studies don't prove causality and have limited generalizability, they can be very strong at showing how an intervention worked, right? Not just whether it worked or it didn't work. You know, did students go up? Did students go down? But they can provide insight into how something works in a way that a randomized control trial study isn't able to show. Now, the reality is, in my view, is that we do need more research into community-based strategies, not only to understand, quote-unquote, what works. And I, I see that a lot. What works? What works in community-based violence prevention? What works in gun violence prevention? You know, what works? So, yes, we need to know, you know, what does and doesn't work. But we also need to know how interventions work and why they do or don't work. Because if we can understand the why they do or don't work, that can help us to to have more robust, more effective, uh, more socially just strategies, right? We need both quantitative and qualitative methods 
and a more nuanced understanding of what actually constitutes evidence. A community-based intervention shouldn't lose value if it hasn't been formally evaluated and published in a peer-reviewed journal, and a community-based intervention shouldn't lose value even if results are mixed, right? Social science is at its best when it helps us understand how to improve, how to be better, and how to solve problems. But too often, social science research is used as a cudgel against community-based organizations. Two super dope studies that I like to, to point folks to is Sharky Torres, Espinosa, and Takiar showed that the proliferation of community nonprofits has an effect on reducing violence. And Gina South and her colleagues as well showed that literally improving broken windows and dilapidated housing can have an ameliorating effect on on crime and link to both links to both of those will be in the show notes and uh, episode description so the very nature of science is about testing improving growing and learning you know when edison didn't abandon the light bulb when that didn't work the first 50 11 times and neither should we abandon community-based strategies that have not had the privilege or the luxury of professional research support especially when those strategies are rooted in and are generated by the folks who are the closest to the 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 violence the folks who are actually living the day-to-day experience of violence in the community and if folks who are actually living that day-to-day experience come up with various solutions and ways to address that violence then i think it's definitely worth investing in testing supporting improving and growing uh those strategies and those interventions uh, that folks have developed so anyway that's my my short uh soapbox uh talk on evidence and community-based violence prevention um if you want to read my dissertation uh, uh i have the link in the in the show notes so you can go ahead and check that out and in a future episode i'll do a more uh, deeper, I'll do a deeper dive um, into the dissertation as well, um, and we'll we'll get into more questions around evidence and values and policy. So thanks once again for listening to the New Hood Peace Partners. Oh, and if you if you liked what you heard, please uh, share this podcast with others. Uh, let's continue to to grow and and build this community. I, I do want to give a shout out to some of the countries that have uh, appeared on uh, on the audience list for the New Hood Peace Partners. So previously, you know, you know we've, we've got folks from uh, Germany and India who are listening to the show, in addition to folks, of course, from the United States. But it also appears that we have gotten folks from Mexico and also South Korea. Um, as well, who are listening uh, to the New Hood Peace Partners. So we want to say hello and, and shout out to our listeners uh, from around the world. So let's continue to keep sharing this, uh, sharing these episodes and building this community. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, or anything you want to chop it up about as it relates to the New Hood Peace Partners or the work of the New Hood as a whole, please feel free to shoot me an email. My email address is talib at thenewhood.org. 
That's T-A-L-I-B at T-H-E-N-E-W-H-O-O-D dot O-R-G. Well, that's another episode in the book, y'all. Thanks very much, and we'll catch you next time on the New Hood Peace.